This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to the 4th of July weekend mailbag. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I'm joined, as always, by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, how was your 4th of July, buddy? Uh, it wasn't too bad. I enjoyed uh, a little bit of time outside, some swimming in the pool, but uh, that's about it. Otherwise, I, I uh, watched a little bit of Stranger Things, a little a little disappointed in that, but that's about it. Rather low-key 4th of July for me. I was going to say, a lot of people have been telling me about Stranger Things. I didn't even know what it was until somebody attempted to explain it to me, but still couldn't really tell me what it was about. It really wasn't that good, I guess, according to you? Well, the third season wasn't isn't that good. The, the first season was, was excellent. The second season was still good. Uh, the third season, it started out pretty strong those first couple of episodes, but the, the writing was just... They they ran ran out and uh, they're they're on fumes here and it's just been laugh out loud funny. It's one you know it, I kept watching it and enjoying it just because I was laughing at how bad the writing was. I found that a lot of shows are kind of like that. Once you get to a certain point, they seem to run out of ideas and just carry on way too long. I'm kind of getting to that point with Shameless. The last few years, I've just been watching out of habit, but they probably should have ended the show a couple of years ago. Yeah, I gave up on Shameless a, a long time ago. I really loved that first season. The second season was all right, but and with Stranger Things, it was you know they made that uh, that show. It was just supposed to be one season, just that that one those however many episodes, and it was excellent. And then it was so popular, they had to bring it back. They were able to milk out a second season of it, and the, they went back for a third. And there's there's no blood in that stone anymore. It's it's pretty much done. So. Uh, that, that happens sometimes you get a story and it's you know it can only you can only get so much out of it and then you keep trying to go back for something else and it's just it's just not there speaking of which that'll lead us into our first set of questions by peter dillard who likes to ask us a bunch of questions but we love peter so we're always willing to answer all of them and it has to do with tv at least the first part of the question says gentlemen after hearing you guys talk about justified i think i should watch it have you ever seen timothy oliphant in deadwood that was a great show but speaking of tough guys did you ever see the nick burkhart character the tv show so let's start with the first part of this in Deadwood, and that's where I got into the whole thing that you mentioned about things carrying on too long or trying to get extra juice because they did just come out with a Deadwood movie. I've been meaning to watch Deadwood for years. Everybody has told me I would love it, and I just for some reason never got around to it. I'm planning to do it this summer. Chris, I know that you recently just rewatched it, so you can talk a little bit about that. Don't give me spoilers, though, because I don't want it to be ruined for when I finally go ahead and watch it. But what do you think of the show, and how was the movie, without getting into any specifics? Oh, well, I I never actually watched the show until recently. I decided to start watching uh, it again. So I, I watched the first season and then a handful of episodes of the second season, and that that's as far as I've gotten so far. Uh, Timmy, uh, Timothy Oliphant's great in it. It's it's a really good show. It's a, a little slower pace at times, uh, but it is it, it's an HBO show, and HBO does does their TV right. So it is a good entertaining show. They've got a, a bunch of really uh, great actors in it that that you will know so a lot by name, some more by face. But it's it's definitely an entertaining show. I I need to finish the second and third season before I get to the movie though. 
And a lot of actors and actresses that were injustified, right? Yeah, there's a couple of them there. Uh, who, who else? Obviously, Timothy Oliphant, uh, the sheriff, um, who who was the guy who jumped out the plane. Mm-hmm. The, he's in it. Uh, there's a couple others, too, in there that I, I'm having trouble play, uh, naming right now. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. What about Nick Burkhardt, the character that Peter references here? I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what that is. I'm not sure who that is. I've never seen that, so I'll, I'll have to look into that. I'm always looking for new TVs, TV stuff to watch, though. So I'll have to look into that. So am I. And by the way, keep your eye out. Maybe one of these days we'll drop a super secret TV podcast because I know Chris and I have been itching to do that. It's nice to take a break from football once in a while, but. That day is not today, because even though we just answered a question about Deadwood, we've got plenty of football questions, including from Peter, who asks, on a football note, if a starting quarterback goes down in the preseason, what type of traffic do you think the Jets could get for Trevor Simeon? And are you guys good with going with Luke Falk if that happens? I'm not mentioning Davis Webb because he's done nothing. So I don't really think they could get anything for Simeon. Maybe at best a conditional seventh-round pick or something. I don't know that there aren't guys on the couch that are comparable to Simeon at this point. I don't think he's that highly thought of or sought after. Like I said, at best, a late-round conditional pick. Luke Falk, look, that all depends on Adam Gase. Gase brought him over here for a reason. Clearly, there was something that he liked about him when he was down in Miami. So I would be fine with him as the backup if Adam Gase was comfortable with it. And I certainly expect him to beat out Davis Webb for that third spot because I wasn't much of a fan of Davis Webb when he was a Cal. He certainly didn't get a chance to prove anything with the Giants. But if he can't impress Adam Gase enough in the preseason and in training camp to win that third spot over Falk, then whatever. Hasta la vista. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I can't imagine them getting anything of uh, value for Trevor Simeon. It'd be a conditional pick at most. Um, it's just any team that it, it would lose their starting quarterback, quarterback and then need to try to find a, a, a good one it, because they're, you know, like say the Eagles or something. I think they, like if Carson once got injured, obviously they don't have foals anymore. Maybe they'd go out and try to find somebody they'd be looking for somebody better than Trevor Simeon. Um, and as far as being comfortable with Luke Falk, honestly, 
I'm comfortable with anybody as the backup because if Sam Darnold's not playing, then it doesn't matter who the backup is. Uh, none, of, none of these guys are going to lead this team to the playoffs. This team is not good enough to be led to the playoffs, but probably not good enough to be led there with Sam Darnold. Definitely not going to be led there by one of these three guys. So if Darnold goes down, I don't really care who goes out there because it's just not going to be good enough. Yeah, it's a good point because people will reference the Eagles. But, of course, what people forget to mention is that the Eagles had a good enough roster to get the number one overall seed. So even if Nick Foles was good enough to get them by, a lot of that was because of how talented the rest of the roster was. This Jets roster is on the upswing, but it's nowhere near good enough to have a marginal backup come in like Trevor Simeon and lead it anywhere. Like you said, I don't even think they're going to make the playoffs with Sam Darnold. I certainly don't see them going anywhere with Trevor Simeon. And then Peter asks this last question. He says, any chance this team re-signs either Beecham or Shell? If so, why? Okay, that's actually two questions. <laughs> <laughs> Sneaking in extra questions. Gotta love it. That's why we love Peter. He gets a bang for his buck every single time. I think that there's a chance that maybe they would sign Beecham to a one-year deal if they can't do better on the open market. I think that Joe Douglas is certainly going to look there. We talked about Lael Collins. That's the one name that sticks out to me because he's a good player. He's young, and he's almost certainly going to hit the open market simply because the Cowboys can't afford him. I also expect the Jets to use major draft capital to attempt to rebuild that offensive line. But I think that Beecham is probably more likely to stay than Shell for the simple reason that he's a better player and I think significantly better. At this point, with Shell's injury too, we have no idea what to expect from him. So I think there's a chance that they might bring back Beecham, maybe even Shell, but only if they can't do better on the open market and in the draft. And I do think that there's a better chance they bring back Beecham than Shell. There's definitely a chance with both of them. And I'm going to, not even like, obviously, if either or both of them have really good years, then that'll make it a better chance. But also, you got to remember how difficult it is to get offensive linemen on the free agency market. And the ones that do become available end up going for crazy money, even when people aren't sure if they're actually any good or not. So it can be really hard to get uh, the offensive line guys through free agency and you end up paying through the nose. So if they both just even look confident or competent and decent, I could see them trying to lock them up and get something. And then, you know, they sit there and say, okay, at worst case scenario, we have depth here because again, obviously the draft is after free agency. So they can go ahead and go slow with it and be like, all right, well, let's just bring back Beecham. And then we know worst case scenario, we have him as a left tackle and then we can try to draft somebody too. So you could see that with both those players. Obviously, if either of them are really bad, then I won't see it. I do agree that it'd probably be more likely with Beecham um, than Rochelle. I would think that Rochelle being younger too. Uh, but, it, again, with the way free agency and offensive linemen work, how little you mentioned Lionel Collins, but even with all the other signings that we know the Cowboys have to do, that's somebody who could shake free, but he might not shake free. And then as good as he is, who's going to pay him? Because you're going to have to pay 
crazy money for him. Look at what Trent Brown got last year. Look at, uh, you know, uh, all these other guys who, again, they're not that good. Lyle Collins is going to be really good. He's going to be worth the money. So I definitely could see them both being back. I would be stunned if they were both back at, as the, in the starting position, though. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Ben Marsh, and this is why I love Ben. He says, mailbag question, should I wash these down with yingling black and tan or bass ale? And it's a picture of barbecue ribs. (laughs) Chris, I'm going to leave this one for you because I'm thinking you know more about beer than I do, but I just want some of what's in the picture here, which appears to be, like I said, either ribs or steak or something because it looks delicious. Yeah, well, uh, I I don't think I know more about beer than you because I am not a beer drinker. Mm. Uh, so my answer would be uh, if we're, if we're going to go with alcohol, give me a, give me a nice cognac. Um, but I I am not a beer drinker. I do not like beer. I have never liked beer. I get full from beer before I get drunk from beer. So I I really haven't liked beer since I was in high school. I would say wash it down with either a bottle of cold water or some Mellow Yellow Zero, but then again, I'm a little bit on the boring side when it comes to stuff that I drink. Next question comes in from the Jet Ranger. He says, what are your way-too-early predictions for the Bam Bam 2020 draft strategy, and how do you think it will differ from Mac's recipe for mediocrity? I already touched on this a little bit. I think that there's going to be heavy investment in the offensive line. I also expect Douglas to target the cornerback position because those are the two that are the weakest by far and that the Jets need really badly. But I also think that overall his strategy is going to be to pick younger players than we're used to seeing from Mac, guys with upside. And I think he very much is going to go with the best player available. But I think best player available is going to mean something a little different. It's going to mean best player available to the Jets. In other words, there are guys that might not be as good of a fit for what the Jets want to do, but they're higher rated on the board in terms of just raw rating. I think that they're going to factor that in, whereas I feel like McCagnan a lot of times failed to do that. So that would be my answer. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I'm, I'd say that you know if I had to pick a position that he's going to address with that first-round pick, right now I'd say it's going to be offensive line. Mm-hmm. He's He talked about it at his introductory press conference it goes the pecking order for him goes quarterback he's comfortable that they got that quarterback and then the lines offensive line and defensive line he's got to feel pretty comfortable with what the defensive line has right now he knows that the offensive line still needs a lot of work um you know and then if if it's not an offensive lineman i'm going to go ahead and go out on limits and, and it'll depend obviously where they're picking how the board falls but Jerry, or I should say Doug Judy, the wide receiver from Alabama, <laughs> he is just too, too good. If he is available, I I don't know that uh, Bam Bam will be able to pass that up if he's still on board when they're picking. But I would, if if not, then I would expect them to go with whoever the top-rated offensive lineman most likely tackle is available at that point. As I previously joked with you and Paulie, Chris, 
if they do manage to get Jerry Judy, I need a video of Craig Robinson with Jerry Judy and the two of them saying together, New York's finest just got a whole lot finer. <laughs> yeah, and we got to see if we could try to get Jerry Judy to guest star as Doug Judy's brother or yes. cousin or something on Brooklyn 999. Because, uh, yeah, every time I watch that show I, I, or I watch Alabama, and he makes a play. I just scream out, Doug Judy. <laughs> I do the exact same thing, which tells you that Craig Robinson is doing a great job in the role because he hasn't been on that much. It's only been a handful of episodes, but he's easily the most memorable guest star that they've ever had. And I would argue that he's more entertaining than half the cast. But if the cast of Brooklyn Nine-Nine is listening to this, I hear actually that Joe Latruglio is a Jets fan. I'm not sure if that's true. I haven't had it confirmed. If it is true and you're listening, Joe, love the character. And it's not a slight at you. It's really not a slight at your castmates. It's really just more of a complimentary thing about how good Craig Robinson is. Yeah, he's great. Uh, On the off chance that any of them are listening, Scott's completely wrong, though. (laughs) I love you all. (laughs) Next question comes in from JetsJoe73. He says, who is going to be the surprise starter coming out of camp? This is an interesting one. We could go technical here and say that it would be one of the tight ends because Herndon, I don't think, is going to start week one because of this suspension. If we're going to say going into the season, somebody that emerges... It's a tough one. I guess maybe the surprise starter could be somebody like Derek Jones, only because the cornerback position is so bad that I could see if Derek Jones does really, really, really well, maybe he beats out Daryl Roberts for that starting spot, whereas I look around and I'm not sure where else on the field somebody's going to sneak in there as a starter. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, you stole my answer. Uh, I've been sitting here going through trying to figure out and i was like can i can i say chuma doga uh, i can't see it i can't see him being good enough to uh, snag a spot right there i mean obviously i could see it if an injury were to open up but that's not the answer you're looking for here uh you know on everywhere else on defense it is pretty much set i don't you're not gonna have anybody really being a huge surprise like it would be nice to Jakai polite to be there, but there's there's very little chance that he's going to be open the season as a starter at the outside linebacker there. Uh, you know, you can make a case that he'll have the designated pass rusher role down, but uh, it, Derek Jones has got to be the answer. Uh, I've seen some flashes of potential the last couple of years when he's been able to practice, be healthy, and that cornerback situation is so dicey right now that it's really impossible to sit here and and say that there's that you know Daryl Roberts and Tremaine Johnson are the locked in guys at corner. Tremaine obviously because the contract is closer, but it, that spot position is up for grabs if Derek Jones can really come and take it. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. 
Next question comes in from Shorty Two Time. He says, why is it that every time you have Chris Nimbley on the show, it sounds like he either has terrible service or just woke up? So here's the truthful answer to this. Chris is afflicted with ADD pretty badly. So he's always got to be up moving and doing things. So he has a tendency to hold the phone away from his face and also to pace around, which drains the sound quality. We're working on this. It's an uphill battle for Chris because he just doesn't know how to sit still like a normal human being. But... I think that we're improving, especially with this show. I can tell the sound quality is better. I just got to make sure that anytime Chris tries to get up and pace or hold the phone away from his ear, that the electroshocks that I send through get to him and he sits back down and relaxes. Yeah. Also, I pretty much always sound like I just woke up. Uh, (laughs) That's just what happens. People call me and they're like, did you just wake up? And I'm like, seven o'clock at night. What are you talking about? (laughs) That's uh, so I just always kind of sound like that. But it's definitely mostly, I think, the pacing around. I, I, like you said, I cannot sit still for the life of me. I like to uh, move around and fidget around. And then now I'm, I'm seated in my, in my chair. I'm not walking, but I do have a bad habit of, uh, drip, the phone drifting away from me. And then I notice it and then I try to correct it and I probably move it a little too close. So if, if my feet can't move around, my hands have to move around. This is, I have a really hard time sitting still. The ADD is, is crazy. Just to add to the whole you sounding like you just woke up thing, I can confirm this is true because I've taped a bunch of shows with Chris early in the morning, and Chris is an early riser, so he'll be up at 5, 6 in the morning having 6, 7 cups of coffee like a maniac. And I'll call him, and he sounds like he just rolled out of bed. And I'll say, did I wake you up? No, man, I've been up for two hours. Let's record. And it's just yep. funny to me because anybody else, it legitimately would have been, oh, yeah, I just rolled out of bed. With Chris, for some reason, he just always sounds like that. Yeah, I don't know what it is. That's just how it, how it goes. I, like you said, I wake up super early. It's not by choice. I just can't sleep in anymore. And now it does take me – I wake up, but it takes me a good two or three hours and – two or three cups of coffee before my brain is fully activated and functioning. But for some reason, my voice and the sound I give off, it just comes across sleepy all day long. My guess is because you're such a very big deal, you're kind of nonchalant in the way you talk, and that comes off as, oh, man, this guy just woke up. That's probably it. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Michael Christopher. He says, great podcast with Manish. Thank you, Michael. Here's my question, and maybe the very big deal Chris Nimbley can answer. How are sources formed and created by these guys, and when do you know who you can and can't trust? Like, do front office people come up to newspaper or national guys and feed them stuff? For example, how did Pauline and Lombardi know that Mac was in big trouble, but the Jets newspaper guys generally had no idea, and when they heard about the rumor, denied it? When Manish wrote the story about Cliff Kingsbury, there were only three people in the room in that report. How does Manish get ears into that room, and who did that benefit by scapegoating bulls after he was already fired and Mac was too. Just asking because it's weird how Carl knew about Rule being the front runner. So is there only one guy in the front office that leaks all this stuff and that's basically his job to be the leaker? Or is there more to it? Chris, I'm going to let you answer this one, but I will say I'm pretty sure that there isn't one guy in the front office whose job is to be the leaker. 
Yeah, there's definitely not somebody whose job it is to be the leaker. That would be that would be pretty funny though to be. And I'd like to see if I could get that job. Seems like an easy job. Just <laughs> hey guys, just tell me to leak somebody something to somebody. Um, this is obviously a tricky question, and it, it the trickiness is because it depends. It it's each individual situation and case is a little bit different. So I'll start with uh, how guys like Pauline uh, heard about the max stuff before anybody else with the jet stuff i i don't know this for sure but it it's it sounded like to me that they had this information from league sources and from people uh sources from other teams it wasn't they weren't getting it from jet sources in the building they might have heard a little bit of friction and stuff like that but from what from my understanding of what it sounded like, it felt like they were getting it from other teams. And a lot of times, that's the best way to get information from teams because teams are going to try to cover up and hide a lot of this type of information. So why a lot of, you know, Manish probably ran into this. He went and heard the report and then went back to check with his jet sources and said 200% false. Well, they were trying to hide it from you. So a lot in situations like that, it can help to have sources from the league office or from other teams because they talk against with each other. You know, a GM on one team will talk with GMs from other teams. They they all have their own little circles and clicks, and sometimes they'll hear stuff that won't get out within uh you know that team's beat because it's being protected, and the those jet sources aren't willing to give it up to us. So. In situations like that, that's when I went and checked. Part of it was because of the timing of, of with at the draft, and I just didn't want to bother any of my jet sources. But I also figured, hey, they're not going to sit here and tell me if this is true. They're not going to tell me this is true right now. Not unless that a move is being made right now. They're not going to do that. Um, they're they sometimes. As far as, you know, the guy having a guy who just leaks stuff, there isn't a single guy who does that. But teams do leak stuff on purpose all the time. We see it mostly with free agency and around the draft where, you know, the smoke's being thrown out there. So they want to throw people off the scent. But sometimes stuff gets leaked after the fact because they want to make things look better. Just look at what happened with the Knicks uh, last week with, uh, you know, the, the free agency stuff. All of a sudden, oh, they weren't interested in Kevin Durant anymore, even though the Nets didn't even give Kevin Durant the max. So they went to throw out that Kevin Durant. They didn't offer Kevin Durant the max. That's why he wasn't interested. But the Nets didn't offer him the max either. They were obviously throwing that out there, trying to make themselves look good. And, of course, that didn't work because that actually kind of makes them look worse. So sometimes that blows up in teams' faces too. But there's a lot of different ways to get uh, developed sources. Sometimes you just get it by hanging around the facility and practice and this and that, and you get to talk to uh, certain pl- guys who come around, and you can just chat them up and, and just shoot the, you know, with them. Uh, sometimes you get it by going to league meetings. Uh, sometimes you get it by going to the combine, and then you can get uh, you can talk with te- people from other teams, and you can get information. And again. It's it can be information that I get from another team or a source with another team or a league. I tend to trust that more than information from the Jets because the Jets people know I'm writing about the Jets. So 
they're going to be willing to give me information if it's information I want. Otherwise, it might be a little trickier. Where if I'm getting information from somebody from the Packers or something, they don't really care what I'm writing. So that if they're giving me something, then it's probably worse. It's probably real. It's more than realistically real. And then as far as how does it come to where do you know when to trust them, this is one of those things that I we've talked about this a lot off air about how cautious I am with my reporting and it's probably a little too cautious at times, but there's no way to know until after the fact. So if a, if a source tells me something and I'm, I'm like, eh, I don't know, I don't know if I should run with this because I don't know if I can believe them. Well, there's, I'm not going to get my answer until it, it plays out. And then I find out, oh, he was right or he was wrong. And then, at that point, you can find out. But again, you have to factor in the agent. Is, is it coming from an agent? Because if it's coming from an agent, unless it's, unless it's my client is signing right now, if it's coming from an agent, I do not trust it. And it's that period. It's that simple. If it's coming from an agent, he is trying to put it out for a reason. He's trying to spread it for a reason. So maybe it is true, but he's still trying to spread it. And it's a genetic competition for somebody else. Who knows? Um, as far you know, I can't speak to uh, Manish with that exact article and how he got in there. But it, obviously, if there was only that many people in the room, then he had to talk to somebody in the room. Uh, you know, he could talk with somebody who was just outside the room and knows that most likely, but most likely my guess would be he was sourced with somebody in that room. And I don't remember the specifics of that story, so I can't tell you, you know, who would benefit the most. But the easiest way to try to decipher these things is to look at the story and then immediately think, who does this benefit the most? Who this narrative being out there, who benefits the most from it? Do the Jets benefit the most from it? Does Mike McCagnan benefit the most from it? Does Todd Bowles or Cliff Kingberry Kingsbury benefit the most? Does his agent benefit the most? Who benefits the most from this narrative being out here? And that is usually who the source is. That's what my friend John Grella said when he was on the show when we talked about the whole Mac Gay situation and I asked him how he would handle it because he spent three years as the director of communications for the Tampa Bay Bucks. He said, if you want to know where leaks are coming from, always start with who is this benefiting and then you can always start to piece it together from there. So that would be what I would say in terms of how you would start to figure it out. Obviously, Chris has a much better handle on it. And I can confirm that there have been several times that Chris had a story that he didn't report because he wasn't 100% sure it ended up being true. And if he had reported it, he would have gotten the moniker of, oh, look, nimbly broke it first. But Chris is very cautious. He would rather be right than be first, which I think is admirable. It's probably also cost you a few bucks, Chris, because by now, who knows? You could have been on ESPN or something with all the scoops that you've had. Yeah, maybe. But if I went out, there's there's been times where I've got stuff before and I sat on it. But there's been times where I uh, got stuff and thought about running with it and it ended up being wrong. So it balances out at the end. And again, this being first to report stuff is isn't something that really interests me. I, I it doesn't. It's great and all, but uh, you know. 
people, everyone's going to know about it uh, sooner or later anyway. It's going to probably, if I say something's going to happen, one of the things that I've told you this story is I was told the day before the draft at this time that if Christian Hackenberg was there in the second round, McCagnon was going to take him. And I kind of laughed at it because I just didn't believe it. I was just like, there's no way this is going to happen. And, you know, I could have put that story out there. I could have gotten credit for being right. But everybody found out about it just a, a few hours later anyway. So it, I, I'm not losing any sleep that I didn't put that out there. I'm, I'm much more interested in just uh, analyzing things after the fact than trying to get it right in, uh, beforehand or trying to guess beforehand. Because uh, like you said, being first doesn't matter. Being right matters far, far more. You can get, if you just get one or two things wrong, uh, people can hold that against you forever, and understandably so. So I, I prefer to be a little more cautious with it. And a lot of that has to do with I just don't really care about the glory of making sure I get things first. That's fair, but I will say this. Jason Lockenfora has a really nice, cushy job with CBS, and he basically does the exact opposite of what you do. So you're being cautious is good as far as reporter ethics, but like I said, it may have cost you a couple of bucks in your reporting days, but... Chris, since I know you well, I know that that's not something that really bothers you because you're not really somebody that cares that much about money. No, and on top of that, I, <laughs> I, I'm not saying anything bad about Jason Locker for Nora, but he gets a lot of stuff wrong. And if I got yeah, that was kind of my point. Yeah, if I got that much wrong, I I would feel uncomfortable about collecting that paycheck. I would have trouble sleeping. Even more than I already do, I already have trouble. So that's that's not a good uh, thing for me to uh, to mention. But I, I would have a hard time going about my day being that wrong about stuff all the time, um, and I would just stop. <laughs> I, I just I would just stop trying to do it. So I don't know. Some people aren't bothered by that. You know, maybe he's just he's a good he's like a cornerback that has no memory. You know, he's able to shake off getting beat all the time. That would stick with me if I got a lot of stuff wrong all the time. And even when I was talking about, you know, the friction between Gase and McCagnon and everybody was coming at me telling me that I'm wrong and I'm making stuff up and I'm just clout chasing, like, none of that felt good. There wasn't a single part of that whole experience that I was like, yeah, this feels good. It wasn't fun. That's not what I'm in this for. And that's going to wrap up part one of our July 4th weekend mailbag. We'll be back with part two tomorrow. In the meantime, make sure that you are following Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Make sure you visit his website, JetsInsider.com. Please make sure to give us a five-star review on iTunes. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it helps us out a lot in terms of visibility to allow us to keep attracting big-name, talented guests on the show. So we really do appreciate it. And, of course, for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.